in the book of Daniel. And so we are in Daniel chapter 6. Um, going to make sure I don't trip and die up here. Because, y'all, it's already been kind of a morning. Um, I was trying to thank Miss Patty for making um, burgers and cobbler. And instead it came out cobblers and burglars. <laughs> so... If that's any indication of how my speaking ability is going to be, this is going to be a really fun next 20, 25 minutes. So um, let's hope it goes a little bit better than that. Oh, and then um, I was in the closet trying to get some chairs out, and all the tables start coming crashing down, and I try to catch them. And what does Grant Shedd do? He steps back and records. So yeah, that's how today's been going, but it'll be great. Um, so anyway, we are in our sixth week of the book of Daniel. And just to kind of give everyone a little reminder of where we're at and how we got there, Daniel is currently living in the land of Babylon, um, but he is a Jew, so the Jews were all taken into captivity by the Babylonians, and that is where we have seen the book of Daniel take place so far. And throughout the book, the main purpose has been to show God's faithfulness and his control despite everything else that's going on. So, in the last chapter, we saw King Belshazzar throw a massive feast using the vessels that he had stolen from the temple. And this is like the big temple in Jerusalem. So, these vessels were kind of sacred because they came from God's holy place. And he decides to use them to throw a massive feast because he is all puffed up on his own pride. And... During the middle of this feast, a hand mysteriously appears and starts writing on the wall. And it says, many, many tackle parson. And what it ultimately came down to is it said, you have been weighed and found lacking. This was God casting judgment on this proud king. And ultimately that night, his kingdom ended. What he didn't know is the Persians were standing right outside the wall. And they invaded the kingdom through the dry riverbed assassinated the king that night, and there went all of his pride. And in chapter 5, verse 31, it says that Darius the Mede is now the ruler of the kingdom, and that is where we pick up in chapter 6. So around, by this time, Daniel is somewhere in his 80s, so he's not a young guy. I know y'all probably seen the drawings of him, like in the lion den, he's probably like, what, like 20 or 30, like super buff and all that fun stuff, but no, he's in his 80s. Like, he was kind of old at this point. And Darius is just now starting to set up the new government of this land. So what he's done is he's starting to appoint 120 satraps. These are kind of like governors or mayors over the land. That way they can watch over the specific details, and then they will report back to these three um, administrators who will watch over them, make sure they're not trying to pull anything over on the government, and then it goes up to King Darius from there. And of those three administrators, Daniel is one of them. In verse 3, it says, Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. So the king planned to set him over the whole realm. So this is the third king that Daniel has served over in his time in Babylon. And this is the third time that he has found favor with a king that he served under. Why? Because he's such a great guy. He's a hard worker. Maybe he's just really likable. All those things might have very well been true. But as Gary DeSalvo points out, it's likely because he honored God with his whole life. Everything Daniel did 
pointed straight to God. So much so that everyone he came into contact with clearly saw that there was something different in Daniel. There was something different about him because God has changed his very life, how he acts, how he thinks, how he talks, even the way he eats, as we saw earlier. So I have to ask, am I an example of Christ? And y'all should be asking yourselves, am I an example of Christ? I meaning y'all. Because no matter what, we're going to be displaying something in our lives. And if we walk around saying we're a Christian, but we're not dis- displaying Christ in our lives, then there's two very conflicting messages going on there. So that is a very pertinent question that we should be asking ourselves. Is my life displaying Christ in everything I think, say, and do? And if I were to go, and go to your schools and ask your classmates, does this person's life reflect Christ? Or even your teachers. That might be a fun one. Does this person's life reflect Christ? What would they say? So one of the first lessons we can learn from Daniel is do we honor God with our lives? In verse 4, the administrators and satraps therefore kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom, but they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy, and no negligence or corruption was found in him. These men said, we will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. So these other satraps and administrators became jealous of Daniel and began plotting against him because he was going to get the number two position of power in the kingdom. And it's quite likely that the majority of these satraps and administrators were all of Persian descent. So you can kind of imagine the scene playing out like, why why would the king appoint him? He's a Jew. I'm Persian. I should be getting that job. You can kind of imagine this floating around in their heads and them just getting angry and riled up. And then the whole group of them is like, yeah, why is, he done, why is he going to get the number two position? He's not even one of us. So you can kind of imagine this playing out. And I can almost hear them saying, oh no, what are we going to do? The king likes Daniel more than me and you. There we go. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw that at least one VeggieTales reference in there. Thank you, Daniel. Um, but they couldn't find anything to charge Daniel with except for the fact that he was going to follow his God no matter what. And again, I have to wonder if as Christians we are living our lives out this way. If we were on trial, would there be enough evidence to convict us of following God? Or would we be found lacking in evidence? So the administrators and satraps went together to the king and said to him, May King Darius live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors, have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict for 30 days. Anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lions then. Therefore, your majesty, establish an edict and sign a document so that a law of the Medes and Persians, it is irrevocable and cannot be changed. So King Darius signed the written edict. So... Knowing that Daniel will not turn from his faith, these other satraps and the governors get together and they convince Darius to issue this decree that anyone who prays to any god, and I'm losing this term god very loosely um, because that's kind of what they're labeling Darius as at this point, anyone who prays to anyone except Darius 
will be thrown into the lion's den. By the way, I found out that it was a um, kind of a pastime of Persians to hunt lions and put them in cages. So that's why they had a lion's den. I've always kind of wondered that. It's like, who just keeps around a bunch of lions just sitting there? The Persians. Who knew? So, um, let's see. I totally lost my place. Oh yeah, so anyone who does not pray, anyone who prays to anyone except Darius will be thrown into the lion's den. And much like the, only, the other kings that we see throughout the book of Daniel, Darius has now fallen into the trap of pride. He sees these, um, these satraps and governors coming up to him being like, you know, king, we can make you God for a whole month. Everyone will only reach out to you for all that they need. And Darius is kind of like, yeah, I, I like the thought of that. So he falls into this trap of pride, just like all of these other kings have done. And as we've seen with the other kings, that was their ultimate downfall. They fell into pride and put themselves above God. And not only is it a dangerous thing for them as kings, but even for us. In many cases, we see pride as the start of sin because we think we know better than God. And then it just goes downhill from there because we all know we don't. So if we continue into verse 10, it says, When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in its upstairs room opened towards Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave, gave thanks to God, just as he has always done. So Daniel learns of this law that had been passed prohibiting prayer. And he does the same thing that he's always done. Opens up his window, goes out onto the balcony. It was actually more of a rooftop type thing. And prays three times a day facing Jerusalem. So it's not like he didn't know about this law. And he just kept doing what he was used to doing. No, he knew about it. But decided to pray faithfully to God anyway. And before we jump into the, to the rest of the applications for this section, um, you, might, you might be wondering about Daniel praying facing Jerusalem. Um, so as a Jew, Daniel was accustomed to worshiping and praying in the temple, which has now been raided and destroyed. Um, so the temple was so much more than a church building to the Jews. It contained what we call the Holy of Holies. That was the physical resting place of God. That only the high priest could go into once a year. But so the temple was something special. For us as Temple Bible Church, if this building weren't here, it'd be really sad, but we can move on and worship elsewhere. It wouldn't quite be the same for the Jews because that house, that temple housed the physical presence of God. So losing that to them, that's like losing their direct connection to God. So that was something major to them. So them praying facing Jerusalem that was Daniel's way of looking back to where God's presence was. Um, so one of the questions that I hope y'all get some time to talk about is, as Christians, do we still pray facing Jerusalem? But I'm not going to go in, into that anymore because I want y'all to come up with stuff on y'all's own. So um, let's see. So luckily for us, though, in the United States, I don't have to be afraid of praying and getting thrown into a lion's den. Now, people may look at my beliefs 
and mock me for them. We might even get outcasted, but I've never had to worry about a physical threat to my safety for praying. And I praise God for that, that we don't have to worry about that. But for Daniel, I can't even imagine the amount of faith that it took for him to go out on that balcony and continue praying to God out in the open like he's always done. And just a reminder, he's in a foreign country. It's not like he's in his home where everyone else believes the same way he does. No, he's in a foreign country, and probably the majority of people believe the exact opposite of what he believes. And now everyone has been banned from living out their faith like Daniel's used to doing. So I can't even imagine the amount of faith that took. But I don't bring this up to point out how how awesome Daniel is or how great he is, but how great our God is. The whole point of the book of Daniel is not to raise up Daniel and be like, look how awesome this person is. It's to say, look how awesome God is. Look how faithful he is. Look how powerful he is. He is in control the whole time. So if we read this book and this chapter and just come away with, I should really strive to be more like Daniel in my faith. We've missed a big part of it. Now, don't get me wrong. Daniel would be a great person to look at and be like, that, that is what it looks like to live out this Christian life and model your life after and strive to be like him. But it's not the point because we don't want to be like Daniel. We want to be like Jesus. And this is what, he's, what we're ultimately pointing to is for us to be like Jesus. And it's not the amount of faith that Daniel had. And don't get me wrong, I think it did take a lot of faith for him to go out and do what he did and what he's done throughout this book. But it's not about the amount of faith. It's, amount, it's about who the faith was placed in and the object of the faith, which is God. And from Hebrews 3, sorry, 13, 8, we know that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God is the same as he was then. He was trustworthy then. He's trustworthy now. He was in control then, and he's in control now. So I think there's two big takeaways that we can take from this section. First, God is in control of all things at all time. Even when it might not seem like it to us, he's still there and he's still in control. And that's been demonstrated all throughout this book. When there's been these powerful kingdoms come in and crush kingdom after kingdom and take control and say, I'm in charge now. God's still there in control of it all. He's still reigning on his throne. So first, God is in control. Second, pray without ceasing. The main, one of the main things we can learn from Daniel is during those trials, during those times of persecution, don't, that's not the time to stop praying. That's the time to buckle down and keep praying your heart out to God. Because let's go back to number one, he's in control. Not you, not the kings in this instance, he is. So in verses 11 through 15, the sage traps found out, uh, found Daniel praying and immediately went to King Darius. And 
even in this final part of entrapping him, they're still kind of clever of how they do it. They first go up to the king and they're like, hey, King Darius, didn't you make this decree saying that anyone who prayed to anyone but you would be thrown into the lion's den? And Darius is like, yep, absolutely did. By the way, it's the law of the Medes and Persians, so it cannot be changed or revoked. And then the satraps are like, okay, good, good. You know your friend Daniel? He was praying three times today, so he has to be thrown into the lion's den. So even now, they're kind of entrapping the king and how they're bringing this up. Um, And after that, in verse 14, it says, As soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. So according to Persian law and tradition, um, they had until sundown to carry out a sentence or a punishment. Um, So most scholars believe that this was probably around noon that um, the satraps brought brought this news to Darius. So um, he had like six hours to try and get this sorted out. So Darius is trying everything he possibly can to figure out how to get Daniel out of this. But by another law of the Persians, once the decree has been made, it cannot be changed. We see that stated over and over again throughout this passage. So even though Darius is trying to find a loophole, trying to find somewhere around it, what has been done is set in place, and not even he can change it. So he's been stalling, and he cannot save Daniel. And then we come to verse 15, and the satraps come in to see Darius one more time, because it's getting toward, I'm assuming, towards the evening, and they're like, hey, king, remember that law that you passed saying that Daniel has to be thrown into the lion's den? Well, it's time. Which I don't know about y'all, but even if I was a governor, I don't think I'd go in and taunt the king like that, because then he's just going to be like, yeah, throw them into the lion's den too. Like, they've made me mad. So yeah, kind of a weird strategy choice for me, if, you, if I'm being honest, for them to kind of taunt him. But hey, that's what they did. So in verse 16, it says, So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet ring of his nobles, so that in, nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and he could not sleep. So, did y'all catch that in verse 16? It says, may the God who you continually serve rescue you. This is Darius speaking. He is a pagan king, meaning he does not believe in God. He does not follow him. He does not trust him. But here he is saying, may your God whom you continually serve rescue you. He doesn't believe in any of that, but he has seen how Daniel continuously and devotedly follows God. And he makes this pretty impressive statement for someone that does not believe in the power of God. And it just amazes me that someone that does not know God or trust him could make that kind of statement. It's kind of funny when we see how non-believers can sometimes have more faith than those that profess God. Um, 
I was debating whether to tell this story or not, but I have time. So um, I'm stealing this one straight from Gary DeSalvo. So um, in Iowa, there was a little town that did not allow drinking at all. And a law had been passed for that now allowed it. So there was a tavern being built, and all the churches did not like this at all. So they got together and started praying that something would happen that these, church, that these taverns would not open. And within the next couple of weeks, a lightning storm came through, struck the tavern, and burned it to the ground. All the churches were pretty happy. And then they got a lawsuit from the tavern owner saying that their prayers had caused the tavern to burn down. They denied it. Let that sink in. They denied that their prayers <laughs> caused the tavern to burn down. And here's this tavern owner being like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was y'all. Obviously not them directly, but y'all get what I mean. Um, so anyway, it's kind of weird when we look at it that how non-believers can sometimes have more faith than we as Christians do. So after Daniel was thrown in, it says a rock was rolled over to the den and it was sealed with the king's ring. So what this likely would have looked like is there would have been a big stone over the opening and they would have had ropes going across and they would have put clay or maybe some sort of wax over those ropes so it would stick to the cave wall. And then the king would take his ring, which would have a little design in it, and mush it into that clay or wax. Then once it hardens, if anyone were to move that stone, that clear wax would crumble and break apart, and it would be very clear that someone had tampered with it. So this was their way of sealing it up to make sure that no one has interfered with Daniel, which I think is kind of a cool um, apologetics type thing here on our end, because they can clearly see no one went and pulled Daniel out and just threw him back down in the pit right before Darius came back out. Um, so kind of something to keep in our mind. Um, and then if we continue into verse 19, it says, At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried into the lion's den. When he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel. Daniel, servant of the living God, the king said, Has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? So Darius spends the entire night up worrying about Daniel. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't eat. He's just waiting for the time that he can go check on Daniel. Which again, I think points to that he had some level of hope and faith that God was going to carry Daniel through it. Because if he didn't believe that God could have done that, he would have just been like, yeah, he's, he's, he's lying, chow. He's gone. There's nothing left. But no, he stayed up all night just waiting for the time that he could run and go check on his friend in the lion's den. And so first thing he does is cried out. He cries out, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel cries back, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and set, shut the lions' mouths, and they haven't harmed me. For I was found innocent before him and also before you, your majesty. I have not done harm. Also an interesting thing about this is he lets Daniel kind of get through his spiel, and then he raises him up out of the pit. So once he's out of the pit, verse 23 tells us that he is unharmed because he has trusted his God. And this brings up a major point that we have to be aware of. 
Trusting God does not guarantee we will not face harm. It does not guarantee we will not face trials. It does not guarantee we will not face persecutions. It does not guarantee that we will have a perfect life. Sometimes we are delivered from the lion's den. God spares us that pain. And those are blessings when, that's, when that does happen. Sometimes we are delivered through the lion's den. Although we are not spared that pain, we still go through the trial. God is with us every step of the way. He is always there. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Every step of the way. And unfortunately, sometimes we are delivered to glory, meaning we don't even make it through that trial. But God is still there. He's still God. He's still in control every step of the way. So, Trusting God does not mean that we will avoid all the hardships in life, but it does mean that we will have him right there with us every step of the way. So as the story starts to wrap up, there's a slightly uncomfortable part at the end that a lot of people avoid because they don't exactly know what to do with it. Um, and I'm pretty sure at Impact we skipped this part um, because, you know, saying, oh yeah, and the king fed all the little kids to the lions doesn't end well. So, so yeah doesn't exactly go over well. But what happened is Darius, as part of Persian tradition, cast all of these satraps and their wives and their children into the lion's den. So for us, we're kind of looking at this like, oh, that, that's awkward. I, I don't like that. What, what do we do with that? And the answer is not much. Sometimes the, the Bible is prescriptive, meaning it gives us commands, it tells us what to do, it tells us how to live. Other times the Bible is what we call descriptive. It tells us what happened. This is an instance of it tells us what happened. Remember, Darius is a pagan king. He does not live by God's moral standards. So him doing this doesn't mean that much to him because he does not follow God's rules. He does not follow God's law. Now, as Christians, this obviously doesn't line up with what we believe, but neither does a lot of things that the world around us does, which is why we're called to live differently. But anyway, so this instance with Darius at the end, there's not much that we have to do with it because he doesn't follow God. And again, obviously we don't agree with it, but I can't change what happened. So in the final verses, Darius sends out a decree to all the land, telling them that they must fear God and honor him. And I'll let y'all go through and read that in the final verses. Um, but the question always comes up. We've kind of seen this before. A king at the very end of the story turns and honors God in some way, shape, or form. So we've kind of seen this, and we have to ask the question again, is, is it legit? Like, did he actually turn towards God? And I'm going to borrow from Chris. We don't know. Only God can judge hearts. Only God can know what we truly think in our minds and whether we follow him truly or not. Um, we don't get much other information on him at this point. So um, we, that's not a call that we as humans can make. Um, but anyway, so 
this is the last section in Daniel of the narrative portion. So if you didn't know, Daniel was divided up into kind of two sections, one narrative telling stories, and then the last few chapters are prophecy. Um, Chris, do you know if we're doing prophecy? Or are we stopping? Cool. Um, I don't actually know if we're continuing into the prophecy or not, so I guess we will find out next week um, if Dave is talking about Daniel. So, um, yeah, if we're here next week, it'll be on prophecy, so that'll be fun. Um, so we're going to break out into our discussion groups. Um, did those questions get passed around to the leaders? Okay, cool. Um, hey, where are we going? I got to pray first. <laughs> All right, y'all, bow your heads with me. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day, um, and I thank you for these stories and Daniel, and I pray that we would read them and take away that you are in control, that you are God, and that you are faithful, Lord, and that we would be able to apply that to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if y'all don't know where to go, come find me, and I will point you in the right place.